0: Hi, I'm Mikael Red, a Filipino filmmaker, and you're listening to the Eastern Kicks Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Eastern Kicks Podcast, a regular magazine program about East Asian film led by me, Andrew Heskins. Founder and Grandmaster of EasonKicks.com And James Mudge, our leading writer Hello. Each episode we'll be taking a look at the latest films, news and festivals Often chatting to filmmakers and stars along the way Welcome to the latest episode This time we're going to focus on Filipino filmmaker Mikhail Red Best known for Birdshot, Eerie and Delita. I caught up with him recently while we were both at the Udine Far East Film Festival for a chat Which Alita was also screening um, meanwhile, James and I will also have a chat about that film and his career so far. But before we get onto that, we've always got that important question to answer. What are you drinking <laughs> this episode, James?
2: Some, uh, some very nice, good. A, a nice bottle of the old Pultney, 12 years old. Ooh, uh, a very nice whiskey. Well, I'm, I'm just drinking, I'm all, I haven't been drinking beer this year and I've stuck to it. But, um, yeah, I've been, I've been upping my whiskey, quality a, a little bit <laughs> having been i like bells and stuff still but i spent when there's no taste to it you end up drinking it too much like too quickly and drinking too much of it because you don't really you know there's not much of anything to it and if you mix mm. soda with it which i was doing as well you don't even notice what you're drinking so this way you get a very strong uh tasting malt and then you you know you you don't swallow it down so quickly or anything like that so that's my that's my excuse for having having better whiskey but <laughs> <laughs> what have you got
1: uh i'm i'm on a trusty letter, letter No, okay
2: cannot go wrong with that man mm. <laughs> cheers yeah cheers so on with the show we'll
1: we'll get on to the um interview with Mikhail later on but um It'd be kind of interesting to chat about Mikkel and his mm-hmm. career so far. Um, uh, so, I mean, just kind of give a bit of background to him. Um, he is the eldest son of Raymond Red, um, who himself was uh, a Palme d'Or short film winner at the 2000 Cannes Film Festival for Annie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he. Kind of very much followed in the family footsteps, and I think all his family seem to be involved in. They do, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, just, uh, it's Nicholas is is directly involved with quite a few of these films, and Ray Red's involved. Ray Red, yes, yeah.
2: yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's first time I, I Birdshot was the first one of his I saw, and I remember seeing the credits, uh, and seeing it was quite a was quite a family affair, which I mean which is which is good, nothing. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with that at all. But it's interesting, and I guess as you say, like coming from his father, as well, it does seem like a a nice family business going through the generations, almost, which is pretty cool.
1: So I mean, he was um, his first film, uh, recorder. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've seen that one from.
2: Yes, uh, I have not. Not for not for quite a long time, but I, yeah, I've seen recorder with the the video piracy and the filming stuff mm. and everything very very interesting film and i spent i think not just because of their titles but there is some tie in or th- thematic maybe kind of tie with Deleter uh, to an extent but you know we'll, yeah, we'll, talk, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that later but uh, but yeah no Recorders, a very it's a very interesting uh, debut he did a few shorts first but i've not mm. seen uh, i've not seen any of his shorts to be honest because we don't really we don't really get access to stuff like that um, unless we really track them down online but but no it, it was a very very interesting first feature and a very interesting jump from that to birdshot which is a very different kind of film
1: mm. i mean he that's the first one i was uh absolutely the first time i saw of his and it's just mm. it is such a great movie I and mean, it's um
2: such a, it's a mature film i guess because we can we can mention his age what he <laughs> pretty pretty young as a pretty young as a director and i think
1: I think I seem to remember your review being quite annoyed that it was only about twenty-four or
2: twenty-five. Yeah, I was quite right, shocked. I was quite shocked. I felt right, I felt right aggrieved. That's he's sort of he's
1: about he's he's about thirty-one now, so that okay, well, it's
2: slight slightly slightly. But with I think quite a few films under his belt, though. No, I think
1: it's
2: fine. But, um, but I, yeah, the, the the difference between uh, Recorder and Birdshot is such. It's not. that It's a jump, huge jump in quality because they're both really good films. But Birdshot is such a. Assured, not I mean, not slick production. But you know what I mean? It's such mm. a well constructed, put together. Whereas R- Recorder feels more like a bit more raw, a bit more like mm. indie and everything. And um, the the difference between that and Birdshot, there it's a very big uh, leap, I guess. but yeah, I I don't mean like step forward as such because I I think Recorder is a great film, but. Uh, I think the difference between that and, and Birdshot, despite them not being too far apart, even like time wise, uh, it's a very it's, big three jump. years,
1: which is actually more than. Um, it's not, well, it's not too much. Mm. No, no, uh-huh. no, no. i not. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, if you go into Korean years, it's a bit like cat <laughs> well,
2: dog years, or, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> or, of, uh... <laughs> exactly. Or if we can compare it to old school Hong Kong directing, uh, that would that's an eternity—three years. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 just interesting to see the the evolution and the change because Birdshot mm. is such a mature film. You know, you could imagine that having been made by a director who's been in the industry for like ten, twenty years or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and then he kind of he followed that up with Neo Melina, which is a um, kind of pseudo kind of contemporary set, mm thriller, and I mean, what those two films have it is that they are very, very dark. I almost want to use a word like gritty, but they're, mm. you know, and then that's that's not the right word, but they they are they're they are very dark. They're very grim.
2: In, they're quite quite grounded, yeah. They're quite grounded, and they kind of mix quite sort of cynical take on uh, like social issues, and mm-hmm. uh, with sort of genre. Uh, and that yeah, and that was one of the things which impressed me so much about Birdshot because it's I mean with again with Recorder uh, and I think to an extent with Neo Manila they, they feel a bit more like indie edgy type stuff. But when you see it, when you see it in Birdshot, um, yeah, it's very much grappling with some of these social uh, social issues quite. Openly and yeah, in a sort of very grounded way though, Uh, Mm. and I think that's that's why uh, for these early early films, he he has a really interesting mix of dealing with like social criticism, social issues, but mixing it in with uh, genre, Uh, you know whether it's thriller or uh, something a bit more, um, not art house, existential, uh, I guess Mm. with, with with recorders. So yeah, very. A very very interesting start to the career, um, in the way he was combining that stuff so successfully and confidently. Um, I would say usually when young directors and yeah, seeing how young he was, then, usually when they get into that stuff, first time or young directors can be really like ham fisted with metaphor or social themes and working stuff in there and everything. But he never he never had that problem uh, with mm. his early films.
1: And then and then I mean we're gonna go through this kind of quite briskly. I think yeah, you know, mm. and then yeah, yeah. The kind of the big kind of studio films so mm. um, Eerie and Dead Kids which I think are uh, partly yeah, Netflix produced or at least Netflix produced.
2: Yeah yeah, yeah yeah, they, they were produced I mean his Birdshot was the first Filipino film sold to Netflix globally I, I mean I still I never quite know what that means because there's mm. been other Filipino stuff on there but it was some kind of milestone and then his next films uh, were another milestone in terms of Netflix being the, the first Filipino ones where Netflix was actually involved in the in the production. So, of course, they went straight to Netflix, which was great because they got, you know, usually films like that would probably only play at festivals and probably quite specific Asian festivals. So a lot of people, a lot more people got to see them, uh, got exposed to his films as a result of the Netflix thing, which is, you know, we, we always see all these debates back and forth about how good Netflix is or bad Netflix is, but... People tend to focus those debates on stuff like, you know, Scorsese films, like Irishman or whatnot and everything. And they they focus on this idea, well, this should have been a piece of cinema. But the the really other, the good side about the Netflix stuff really is that some of these films like this, which never realistically would have got uh, more more than maybe a couple of brief festival screenings in the UK, were suddenly on Netflix and so many people could have seen them. I and mean, we, we might have struggled to see, like, Eerie or, or Dead Kids and stuff, mm. if they hadn't been on there. Or or even Birdshot itself. So uh, I think it's, it's great that they were on there, great that Netflix was investing in, in production in other countries, and also just making, you know, directors' works more available widely. So, um, um, But yeah, 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 they, they were both Netflix uh, productions or co-productions uh, in that respect, Eerie and, and Dead Kids. And again, we saw, like, another... I mean, they're both different. I mean, Eerie being a horror film and Dead Kids being like a, a sort of contemporary zeitgeist thriller type thing. Um, again, interesting step forwards or progression or development um, f- from his earlier works. I mean, especially especially Eerie, because it, it's it's a bit of a, a strange mix without diving into it too much. Um, because on the one hand, the, the, the horror elements in it are, are quite generic, I think you could say mm. with Eerie. But... The social side of it uh, and the visual side of it are very very strong. So you kind of marry a pretty standard modern Asian ghost story uh, type mm. of thing with with a bit of sort of Western horror with a bit of old like Val Newton type of stuff too. It. But it's very yeah. pre- predictable sort of horror. But at the same time, there's a the other aspects of the film are really rich. Um, mm. uh, then with dead kids again, it's a, it, it's it's more like a recorders or New Manila type of thing. Um, uh, you know with some sort of kidnapping thing gone wrong but again with more social themes brought in so it's quite an interesting sort of jump around um, it'd be interesting just to know like how they, they developed these things with Netflix how much they were you know what kind of involvement Netflix actually had uh, in terms of shaping them because they don't Eerie feels more like one which was maybe shaped for the global global audience I guess compared mm. to because Dead Kids is a bit more uh, specific I mean I don't think Netflix really cares about that to be honest but um but of the two films, Net f- uh, eerie, feels more like, um, yeah, intended for for wider consumption. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess like that, yeah. and I, I don't mean they're in a bad. Way. I mean, and it's I, I quite like Eerie. It, it would have been, it would have been a nice one to see on the big screen because it is be- quite a beautiful, dark visuals in the film. It's just that the, it's just a bit generic in terms of the, in terms of the plot itself.
1: Yeah, but I, and the other thing that's quite nice about it is is and I think. Works in its defence as well is is that it's got a it's the characterisation as well that, that mm. you get in there that's that that is pretty strong that that, yeah. that you, you you go along with the characters and then you are more concerned about them more concerned about what happens to them, even if the mm-hmm. the frights feel yeah it could be uh, uh, feel a bit predictable yeah yeah one no, interesting I thing I noticed in those and I and I and I almost kind of. Uh, Kind of watching those two films um recently in 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 quite succession um is that, that I don't know if it was it's a deliberate kind of Easter egg or something, but there's a line in both of those films oh really that's kind of almost exactly the same so mm-hmm. In and, and they are in the same context of, of being bullied in a sort of school environment.
2: That's true, yeah.
1: Um, but you know, one of the characters says, uh, "They killed me. They killed me every day." And I mean, in dead kids, it's I I died. I died every day. And I just wanted. Oh, okay. I was just kind of wanted to kind of. Skim through and see if uh, if that's uh, if he kind of worked that line <laughs> in somehow
2: <else. laughs> That's true. Maybe it's in the liter somewhere as well. I don't know. I, I
1: wouldn't be half. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a very similar line in the liter actually with the repetitiveness. But we'll we'll come mm-hmm. to that in a in a second. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, so kind of he's kind of building this 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 uh well, strong back catalogue. There's Block Z which I haven't seen. I haven't in, seen it. Bit. We
2: never that never came out for for us uh in the west. It didn't play any festivals. Didn't. No. It, did, it didn't didn't turn up on like Amazon Netflix or anything like that, which was a shame. The, because you know there's a zombie horror type one. a Filipino take on it would have definitely liked to see it. Mm. So, but no, no, it just didn't turn up. Didn't turn up anywhere. I mean, bit of a surprise.
1: And then Arishakai, which was twenty twenty one. Yeah. Um, you know, and that brings us on to Delita.
0: which has been doing absolute kind of yeah
1: uh has been very successful in mm-hmm. uh, in the domestic box office um and it, been traveling to, to to lots of festivals had a limited cinema release in the states mm-hmm. um and uh, is is due to be released uh, on Amazon Prime uh, later in the year, I believe. Which is which is an interesting. Mm. Um, it was an interesting kind of step in terms of. Uh, there's one of the films that Amazon have picked up. There's another Filipino film, "In My Mother's Skin" by Kenneth Agatán as well. Which is, oh,
2: I'd quite like to see that one too. Yeah. And yeah, but
1: that's it's it's interesting to see Amazon kind of step into this this area and start picking up these films that.
2: that oh. They will Ta-da. have to, yeah. They will have to drastically improve their search engine then, because I guarantee i guarantee you, you can imagine like Delita arriving, being on there, and then going and searching for Filipino films, and it wouldn't bring it up. I can guarantee that at the moment. I mean, that's Amazon is just absolutely useless uh, for searching anything on there. At least with Netflix, you know, you, you might have to be a bit proactive, but you can find stuff you mm. know, if you just type in Filipino films, because there was quite a few other ones Netflix picked up. Uh, by other directors and uh, sort of horror genre stuff as well so yeah um, so yeah it'd be, if amazon does start picking up more of this kind of stuff it would be good just hope they will uh, not sort of hide and bury them and make them very very difficult to even search for which i fear i fear they might uh, i, I, I don't think
1: it's deliberate i think it's just that's what amazon is i mean that they, they use their same search engine that exactly, they use yeah. for, for the products and and that often mm-hmm. you're you're much better off Going into Google and then putting in Amazon as part of your search word and then oh no absolutely
2: absolutely if you know if you know what you're looking for you can usually find it if you don't then browsing uh, is just a no it's it's a waste of time on Amazon unfortunately so um, so hopefully they'll I don't know <laughs> so, somehow they'll get the word out that deleters coming on the platform so it doesn't get buried because you know, as we were saying I mean, that's one of the good things about his stuff being on Netflix is actually just reaching a wider yeah wh- wider audience so we'll, we'll see what Amazon do. <laughs> I won't hold my breath, but
1: <laughs> so Delita is uh, based around uh, someone that works on the, uh, the this service that's been outsourced to the Philippines. Um, mm. It was, and I, I talked about this with Mikel as well. That the, uh, the there was a really good documentary that in the UK um, was on Storyville uh, okay. a couple of years ago um called i think it's kind of it's called the cleaners but the longer title is internet's dirty little secrets very good documentary <laughs> that actually which was, was really balanced looking at the kind of the pressures of 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 people you know like like yeah kind of outsourcing to people in the philippines having to go for all this kind of content and then the sort of the reaction to some of that content which is is coming from all sorts of perspectives and weird because it's not being done by any kind of AI; it's being done by some poor person who's having to go for all this.
2: <laughs> and, would, not, would not like that job, no.
1: And um, that's that's where we find ourselves with with uh, Delita. That's where we start with that person,
2: and yeah, I mean, I guess we'll we'll, we'll end up touching on some vague spoilers. I Maybe mean, we don't need to see the specifics mm. of the plot, but just in the, the, the you know the cut and the thrust of it. Um, you know, I suspect we'll get into it but but uh, yeah it's an in, it's an interesting setup and again it's sort of quite rooted in social themes as you say about these things being out outsourced to these data centers and the data checking and the, the video checking being outsourced to places like the Philippines um, and obviously it's kind of focusing on the de- de- like the dehumanizing mm. uh, effects it has on people I mean I, partly in terms of the content that they're actually having to see and stuff but partly just uh, I think it's just the um the, the monotony of it as well and uh, you know the idea of not not quite the same as a call center with that kind of thing you're just sitting there doing this you know unpleasant job for for another country on the other side of the world we're just sitting there like clicking through click 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 you know because uh, it because it doesn't really get into too much of the content as much as it might have i, I guess because some of the stuff they're watching is probably very unpleasant uh so I think it's it's kind of more the social theme of it rather than like the, I guess the visceral side in terms of seeing any, like suddenly seeing anything,
0: mm. you know,
2: too horrific, uh, in on, on that side of things. But no, it's an interesting, it's an interesting setup for it, and it's interesting in the the main character is, um, a bit different, uh, I guess, because she's not very likable, Uh <laughs> in the film. I mean, she's kind of sympathetic, but she is kind of going through that process of dehumanisation I guess and she's very yeah. sort of self-focused and you, you know it's not and,
1: d- and detached from detached know, yeah i kind of getting into um, the, the, the the story too much but um, you know one of this when this, this deeply affects one of her other co-workers mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, she is actually kind of not admitting to herself let alone anyone else exactly yeah. how close she was to this person mm-hmm. Because she, she's she's going through that dehumanizing process.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it's, so it's an interesting setup, and it, you know, it, it's very effective. I think in the earlier stages of the film, where we're building up into that, um, it's it's quite creepily shot. I, I mm. guess everything is quite dark and grey, and um, it presents an interesting view, kind of of the the city. I assume it's Manila, right? the, the the city, mm. right? But um, it's quite an interesting visual way of doing it. And then, the, and then the, the sort of world of just being in these office, you know, in the dark, everyone's sitting in the dark so much in that film, like, clicking through the videos and everything like that.
1: And, and part of that, I think one thing, it, it it's actually done quite well in that sense, that mm. uh, it was just all still under kind of strict COVID conditions, so to, to, yes, to get yeah, away true. with mm. it not being... Um, that not being too obvious on screen, I think, was... Um
2: mm. No, it's a, yeah. It's a not, not an easy time to have been shooting anything. So so yeah, it's got a very interesting setup and sort of social context to it. But uh, I think kind of like eerie for for me. I think when the when we get into kind of away from the context and intellectual plot itself, it gets a bit. It's a little bit generic. Uh, I I think in terms of that I think it marries some very very interesting social themes and and at some points in the film like I felt honestly I thought it was going down like um like a Brandon Cronenberg route, uh, yeah. I spe- especially some stuff towards the end of it I thought it was going a bit possessor, type of way but well, that might just be the, the name like and that may be that's that's why I linked <laughs> recorder to deleter recorder deleter possessor, <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of er films but it, it there's something about this. Something about it, I was just getting a sense that it was not an entirely successful marriage of some, I guess not quite art house, but some more um, really quite interesting stuff in there uh, and dealing with the social themes, but at the same time working in like a pretty commercial uh, sort of film plot, which is not, it's not really, I suppose that's not really criticism. As you said, it's been such a big success mm. uh, in the Philippines, so... It was, you know, it is a commercial film uh, in that in that respect. I think, I think it's more just when you're watching it, because some of the because some of the social stuff in it, uh, and some of this whole idea of dehumanizing and identity and blurring of reality. I think it deals with in a really interesting way. Um, and then it, you know, it, it has a, a kind of need to resolve things or to move things forward. So it goes into a, a, a fairly fairly generic kind of plot as to what it's actually not not what it's all about but but what actually drives it is a pretty generic setup i think mm. it doesn't make any less entertaining it's still a good film but uh I, I think when i was watching it part of me thought it was going to go in a different direction mm. Uh, without getting into spoilers, on it, but,
1: <laughs> are we uh, are trying to trying to keep those spoilers. No, no. I mean, that, that's nothing. A spoiler.
2: That, that's that's enough of a spoiler. Uh, spoiler already to, to say that to people and everything. But uh, so I, I think it'll depend on it. Depend on the viewer, uh, I, I mm-hmm. guess, as well. Like if you're if you're going to this as like more of a kind of popcorny film. But then again, it's not really. It's not massively a horror film in that respect. I mean, we have there's some scares and stuff in it. And a few flashes of, uh, I guess, surreal stuff. But it's not really that kind of scare horror film. You know, mm. a lot of it, a lot of it is quite sort of slow burn and yeah, yeah. And that, which is why I thought it was going to go in a different direction. Um, so yeah, it's an it's an interesting mix of stuff, and it's good that it's been very very popular. And it's a shame that it hasn't had more of a wide thing in the West. But maybe this will be more of a flagship one, not flagship, but one that Amazon actually push. Uh, and actually get out there properly. So, but it's been good to see it playing and stuff like Udine, uh you, you know, and getting out there more.
1: and the other interesting thing, which uh, you, you'll hear during the interview as well, is that I did ask him if uh, Mikhail if he had a, had to make any concessions, and it seemed okay. that the only only concessions he had to make was to have it to the stars, to the right. star of this. Yes. So yeah. and and if that's a concession, I mean. That's not much man. It, it, well, <laughs> not it, I mean you, you, um, it, it's it, if you're having a big star in your, your film and that's a concession mm. you're making then um, which you know uh, Nadine Lustre mm. is yes, yes that's not gonna that's uh, it is a help but it's not a, a, a hindrance and I think the other thing that's that's uh, actually in this and was also obvious um, from reading up about the the lead act actresses in in my mother's skin. Mm. Is that they are very well known, very glamorous actresses who are quite happy to be mm-hmm. in these more interesting films that aren't rom-coms, <laughs> that aren't yeah. something that that is uh, that where they are quite, you mm-hmm. know, uh, playing very kind of stereotypical roles. It's not. Yeah. they're really very, very happy to be in these kind of roles. So it, it, it's it's kind of the sort of genre cinema is kind of meeting these mm. super.
2: No, it's a, absolutely.
1: <laughs> it's been really helpful for these these uh, young directors who are doing this stuff.
2: No, it? no, no, absolutely, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. My, my sort of criticism or, or what I'm saying about delete is, is come is me coming at it from a different direction. I guess it's not coming at it as a a more commercial film, which going out in the cinema um, has been very successful. Um, sort of sort of mixing that with uh, what is quite a. An interesting and could have been sort of multi-layered subject matter and, mm-hmm. and context for it and everything so yeah I mean I think it's never an easy thing to do to, to mix that you know when you have the basis and it's interesting what you say about that documentary having a really interesting sort of grounded quite sinister <laughs> quite sinister <laughs> base, basis for the film but it, needing to marry that to having a star and the expectations that comes with that and having a, a slightly more like traditional uh, commercial story sort of based into it so um, and it's good that he still manages to keep quite a few surreal and, and quite odd bits in it, especially at the very end. Uh, cause it does mm. have a very does have a very cool final, you know, final bit at the very end for it. So, um, so yeah, I I think my my has just come from thinking it was going in a slightly, it was going to continue in a more surreal way because it it is quite mm. ambiguous and obscure in a very nice way for the first half of it. Uh, I think. And then it just goes into it's not that it goes into it goes off the rails by any means. It just no, no, goes so. in, just goes into more standard territory, uh, I mm. guess, for the plot. But then, you know, you couldn't have really kept going w- without some kind of narrative framework to hang on, hang things on to. So fair enough. I know, I'll definitely watch it again if I can find it on Amazon.
1: So I caught up with Mikhail in a particularly echoey corner of the main theatre for the Udine Far East Film Festival in April. Let's, let's kind of start with the, the, you know, the main question which is where did you get your inspiration for Delisa, what was that? Uh, so
0: we started, I guess the concept and the, the development started around the pandemic so yeah. we were all stuck uh, at home and everyone was I guess seeing the world through their their screens uh, through uh, all the filters and distortion and you know it got me thinking um, everything we see online everything we post someone has to be uh, filtering all that someone has to be moderating it and I've I've heard of the occupation before yeah of social media content moderators Mm. and it so happened that uh, when we did our research that Manila is becoming like the social media content moderator. It's it's, it's
1: it's it's another thing. It's being outsourced to yeah, exactly. Basically. and the,
0: most of those types of jobs are being outsourced in Manila. And with the work from home setups, it you know it's become yeah. easier. And it's a fairly new job because yeah. of, you know, the advent of the technology and the internet.
1: There's, there's, there's a really interesting documentary I saw a few years back. Um, the, the cleaners. The cleaners, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh,
0: and there was also like you know the the Vice um, documentary and interviews, and um, there's so many news um, like articles that published you know, uh, um, <coughs> research on on the content moderators, the cleaners, or the deleters, and eventually. Uh, uh, I had to work with uh, Viva Films, and they're right. now one of the more active film studios in the Philippines. Yeah, and they were looking for um, ideas, um, mostly genre concepts that uh, you could shoot safely. You know, that's very feasible and contained, and uh, something that you could shoot with uh, with the new protocols, because everyone was still getting used to shooting. Pandemics. So it's still done under COVID <coughs> protocols. Yeah, 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 and. I guess it all kind of like snapped together. Like uh, this is something we were always um, fascinated by, and we felt like it, it would be a good jumping-off point for, for a horror uh, horror film. And it's something that you could do because yeah. it's you know pretty contained, pretty claustrophobic. Yeah. You have a character staring at her screen, and in a way, I felt like it was very similar to my my first movie, Recorder, where about that. Yeah, yeah, where it's all. Also, multi format, you know, it's yeah. very uh, modern in its approach. But this time, you know, I was really into horror. I, I was doing horror films, so I felt like that would be the best uh, uh, genre, the best vehicle to tell this story and to kind of introduce it to a larger audience, you know, the, 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 the local audience who probably wouldn't normally see a documentary but, you know, would see a fiction film. And this is something that could. <clears throat> that to uh, highlight this this subject for them and uh, so yeah we, we we got to work uh, even with my producer jason she she went into the deep web and <laughs> was able to interview some of the content moderators and uh, you know we we got to interview some of them anonymously and uh, formed this this story called the uh, leader about this desensitized uh, Content moderator who, basically, you know, because of all the you know, things she sees in in her screen, she becomes um, apathetic, and then eventually something happens where she has to basically um, uh, unmask herself and, and face face the the reality she's always been uh, tolerating. You know. So yeah, it's uh, because Filipinos are still very. Um, Spiritual, you know, we're we're very into ghost stories. We're very religious, so I like the combination of something that deals with technology, something very modern, and still have that you know that 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 ghost story, mm. and uh, that I think that unique blend kind of worked um, for, uh, for when we did like our local release. It, it got um, good results. It was one of them. I think it's the highest grossing horror movie in the Philippines history really and, wow. and we wow. were so surprised because <laughs> we never thought we would ever surpass like yeah. the the results of like the films pre-covid. Mm. <clears throat> and that's where we realized that it was really the viewing habits of the Filipinos changed during the pandemic. Everyone was watching streaming. Yeah. Watching a lot of Black Mirror and Squid Game <laughs> and, um, and I think it fits well with, uh, with the generation that you know, grew up with like, TikTok where everything you watch, you, know, you, you go through it so fast. like All that information, all that, that attention span is different and it kind of reflects the job of the social media mm. content moderators where they just flick through videos. I thought this—it's quite an
1: interesting rhythm to that, though, because these things are quite abstract. It almost starts to feel like the the cursed video in in Ring, yeah, you know, yeah, it has yeah. got that kind of aspect. Of you. Were you kind of thinking about that side of things as well? Of course, well, yeah.
0: No, I'm a big fan of J or Japanese, horror, <laughs> and a lot of it, you know, um, is definitely inspiration. And but at the same time, it, uh, I like to add the the like the reality like yeah. happening in the Philippines. So, even though, you know, most um, content managers, they deal with, you know, big international uh, sites. Yeah. In our film, uh, you, the, the milieu, the, the things you see uh, in the news, the things uh, happening around our country, you kind of see the glimpses and fragments of it in Lyra's you know, no. job. Yeah. And it's almost like she gets used to it to the point that when something horrific is happening in front of her, she, she
1: phases she up, she's so she's so numb to what's going on, so yeah. I mean, it's, there's a big, I mean in the UK we had it as, as well, but like people get desensitized to things, so in the UK people start to get desensitized yeah. to COVID, to the things yeah. of COVID deaths, you know, because it was on, people were, It was being reported all the time that it didn't mean anything anymore, so it was kind of weird desensitization that we've had. Um, our social, is that sort of side of social commentary quite important to the films you do? Because it feels like that's something you have in there quite often, yeah?
0: I feel like there's that, well not uh, just uh, responsibility or opportunity, but I think that's that's the, the key with some of, uh, at least the films I make, like I have that chance to, to reach a larger audience. I mean, especially with the, the movies I make, luckily are backed by Studios that have that marketing capability. Um, it uh, like it interests a lot of uh, big artists who mm-hmm. usually do like the, the mainstream. Like for example, romantic comedies and dramas, and they want to do something different. Uh, they go into horror. They go into these genre projects, and for them, it's it's something fresh and challenging. So, with those components, um, I'm very lucky that. These are the type of films that even you know, even if we do get festival traction mm. um, back home, it's pretty um, pretty uh, good in terms of like viewership. You know, we get like a good theatrical release. It reaches people outside the the film bubble, that mm. that, that echo chamber of like film industry and filmmakers. It reaches um, your average audience, and I think that's like a good opportunity to like i said to, to highlight certain subjects that they probably wouldn't um think about or encounter because you know it's not something they're used to seeing in a, in a commercial movie at least platform and um uh, it, it feels different you know like when you see average um, audience and moviegoers uh, talk about the film online you see discussions yeah. and i think that's what Kind of help the film Uh, Mm. because we we weren't so strong during the like the opening week Mm -hmm. because normally it's the the family movies that do well like the the rated G (laughs) yeah where you can bring because you know Filipinos have big families everyone (laughs) should be able to watch the same film right in Christmas or holidays but this one was an R-rated movie it had you know sensitive subject matter it had suicide yeah Um, yeah but. It started to gain uh, traction because of the discourse, because people felt it was different. The the ending was ambiguous, Mm -hmm. and um, it was mysterious. And I guess also the fact that uh, a popular actress who's always, you know, glammed up and does, like, romance is suddenly slicing her face off. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, there's this intrigue and this, this... Uh, freshness to it that um, a lot of the audience started to talk about it online and if you didn't want to be left out of the conversation like you had to watch it and then people would watch it more than once and I think that that's very interesting it's a good um, that's where I realized where uh, it's a good um, I guess tool you know if I can um, put that (laughs) smuggle that subtext in but still make it very entertaining for the average audience. I think that's, a, um, that's always been my philosophy as a filmmaker. And it helps. Um, it makes it very sustainable. Because yeah. um, the movie um, you know, gains enough um, in terms of uh, viewership that we're able to make more. Yeah. And now um, we set up a new company because of Deleter, because of the, really? the success of Deleter. Uh, We set up a company, a production called uh, Evolve Studios. So some of the capital is um, from Viva. But it's my first time to own the company. (laughs) And we get to do more genre films. And some of these films uh, I will only be producing now. So I can support newer voices, newer filmmakers. And with the focus on on genre cinema in the Philippines.
1: So I I was going to ask you, I mean it's great setting up your own company. Have you felt that you've had to make concessions when working with studios to to what you do or are you left
0: Yeah, to realistically, the, the biggest um, adjustment you always have to make is um, casting, mm-hmm. but I don't mind that because, um, you know, I work with a lot of great, uh, very talented actors, actresses, and these are people who want to also step up their game. Like I said, mm-hmm. they they probably do a lot of the more audience-friendly drama, romance, uh, you know, uh, commercials and TV shows for their bread and butter, but this is new for them, you know, when they do a film where that's not typically, you know, your audience crowd teaser, it's R-rated movie, it excites them, and they're very passionate about it, sometimes they even, uh, you know, volunteer more of their time, and uh, I appreciate that, so I guess At least in the philippines that's one big factor Um, when you do something for a bigger audience the cast of course i think of most countries uh, matters a lot but in terms of like the creative control and genre uh, i'm very pleased to say that viva uh, let us do our thing and i think uh, it's because you know we were very lucky that we got to build like a good uh, filmography in the past and they were familiar with you know our work before they mm-hmm. decided to collaborate so uh, they didn't meddle much and now that it worked at least on a financial perspective uh, from from them they'll probably let us do more <laughs> like yes. just keep doing yeah. that as long as it works yeah and on, on so uh, that's good for us cause we can be creative and still have that the back that machinery because it helps Mm. to you know to advertise something for theatrical it's hard because otherwise you just go straight to streaming nowadays yeah but if you have the backing of a studio you know you get to put billboards or you get to put um, free tv spots and that's how you get like normal regular audiences to go out of their way and pay for a ticket, mm. go to a cinema. It's, it's hard in a third world country, you know. Yeah. The ticket prices cost more than a meal, and everyone, you know, the 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 working class, the middle class is quite small in the Philippines. So you really have to make it worth their their money and their time. So it's hard without the backing of a major company to mm. put your film out there for yeah, them to see. It. Otherwise, you'll be gone in like a few days in the cinema. you'll there's gonna be a Marvel movie or a Hollywood movie that will heat <laughs> you up in the Philippines. So, it's pretty rare. And that's why it was a miracle for us uh, what happened with
1: um, the lead it sounds. It sounds like it really kind of <clears throat> caught the zeitgeist. Um, in terms of, I mean, your, your family has, uh, you're very involved in this sort of film and TV industry. You know, what, what have you seen change? in? like, you've been a filmmaker, yeah, a picture film for, for a decade, now, I guess. So many
0: things have changed. Um, for example, ABS CBN uh, was shut down and they were very active pre pandemic. Like, we had stuff going on with them. We were supposed to do like a prequel for Eerie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they were very, I was so excited because, you know, coming from uh, independent background, you know, most of my earlier films we had to produce using soft money and mm-hmm. grants. But eventually when um, studios like ABS-CBN, who usually do the, you know, the big audience-friendly romance and drama, saw the potential of genre and of thrillers and horror, uh, they were already taking risks. That's why they, they we signed up to do a couple of movies with them. But yeah, pandemic happened, so it shut down. Um, shooting hours changed. We used to do more, now it's very strict, very tight. Almost 12 to 14 hours now. We used to do more in the Philippines, and <laughs> shooting days also are a bit tighter. That's why concepts like the liter for the, it's it's starting to go back to normal now. But yeah, during the time of the liter, you know, yeah. you had to think of ideas that you could do safely mm. with the new protocols and um, in a number of uh, a certain span of shooting days. So. Mm you need experience for that so yeah. during that time it was I guess I was so lucky that uh, we were able to get in before the gates closed in a way because yeah I can imagine it must be harder for a new filmmaker to come in now that a lot of financiers at this platform are more risk averse because of the pandemic everything's you know there's less audience there's less so yeah we, we felt the change like things got smaller for a while but you know we're relentless we're passionate you always find a way to make a film or tell a story so we found those you know ways to think of concepts that would work and now it's starting to slowly get back to normal theatrical since december has slowly been moving and um, streamers are now more aggressive instead of just netflix before you didn't really have an option at least in our country it's just Netflix. now um disney plus came in hbo and Amazon Prime Video. Video has been very yeah. aggressive. In fact, and then buying Kenneth yeah. and yeah. is also Amazon. Oh, they've got Amazon as well. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask. You know, very, that's yes,
1: yeah. interesting. <clears throat> I guess you know, for, for, on the international yeah. side of things, that 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 suddenly again, it, it, like for me, I'm I'm being. Yeah, Quite old. Yeah. I remember the the two thousands and how much interest there was, and and you had J horror, but then oh. that started to branch out and has stuff coming in kind of, yeah. Thailand. I think for a much lesser degree, things were coming out of the Philippines, um, but now it's all starting to happen again with you know with with, with your stuff, um, but you know you've got like Joe Carnimeo and Indonesia and all that side of stuff, and it, there is a real appetite. You kind of see that as some of this grow
0: and. Uh, Streaming has helped uh, a lot. Um, in fact, even with even as early as Erie, that's when I felt uh, more um, international attention. Mm. I mean, I've been making films even before Erie, like very proud of like Recorder and Birdshot. Yeah, but yeah. <clears throat> Erie went Netflix worldwide, and that's when uh, like, we got attention of like uh, U.S. like a lot of publications. And in fact, my I got my agent because of Erie, not Birdshot. Because you know, they're more into it's it's a bit more audience friendly, it's horror, mm. a bit more universal. So yeah, because of streaming there's more um, more visibility mm. I guess. Yeah, instead of I mean I enjoy the, the film festival circuit but With streaming, it's almost like you're archived. You're constantly showing it's as easy as someone liking your film and then sharing a link or a hashtag. Yeah. Someone else clicks on it and sees your film. So you always see like a a fresh reaction every now and then Mm -hmm. to a film that's already been there for quite a while. So that helped a lot, Uh, at least I noticed the visibility and attention when we first started releasing worldwide through the streaming platforms. So yeah, that, that's like a big change. But still, the theatrical experience is still different. And that's why I'm quite proud when, <clears throat> when we were able to do like a, almost like a comeback with the Legion. Because my mm-hmm. previous film, Arisaka, that was like dead, like straight right after the pandemic. So there was nothing, no, no cinemas. It was, we got into festivals like in Tokyo and Cairo and LA, but no one could fly out. So that was tough, you know, for Arasaka. But yeah, we got it on Netflix. But there's not a lot of options. So mm. with the theater, when we tried to do a theatrical, and you know, we didn't expect much <laughs> because we thought like people are just slowly starting to come back. But that's where we saw um, the it could it could still happen and it could still work, and that was exciting. But yeah, I think uh, that's like the biggest change, and I think that's what brought attention to to you know our region and our cinema uh when we started gaining the attention of like the streamers and they started getting us for like original labels even with the like, dead kids and netflix original uh, mm. i saw quite some uh, attention on that and a lot of curiosity uh yeah so it, it helped a lot and we tried to maintain like a good relationship with them um but yeah, sometimes it's better to do both, like theatrical and then go to the streaming after. Yeah, but just depends on the film. Depends
1: on the type I, of yeah, I, but I think there's lots of stuff that is it is best to see on a big screen, of you know, and, I, and and in some ways, like you know, say you know, I don't know what happened with the Lisa, but um, like something like Satan's Slave's communion, for instance, yes. from You know, got in the U.K. and the U.S. it went to shadow very quickly yeah um i'm i'm kind of glad i waited to see it here we did the yeah.
0: theatrical actually in the U.S. in January, February with the leader but just a few cinemas maybe yeah. like 30 yeah. cinemas or something but usually when we do stuff like that it's mostly the the Filipinos also go support yeah yeah uh, I, I saw some reactions from like um, American publications and the but yeah uh, the thing with the local studios sometimes is they don't they rarely work with like an international distributor because they already have their own infrastructure, and they kind of target like the Filipino diaspora abroad. But, but yeah, sometimes you have to like convince them that there are other options. Mm. In fact, they're not really into the whole festival circuit, and it's really just us filmmakers pushing them. Hey, we want to take this film to festivals because them they already know their you yeah, know they they have their system already.
1: It's it's the way to get the yeah. kind of internationally know. Get a name in that yeah. sense, isn't it? That's why okay. I
0: keep reminding them that we still want to do this. We still want to uh, go to the festival circuit, even though simultaneously you're already uh, selling it to streamers or doing commercial releases in certain territories. Those, this, the few premieres that we have left, we try to still get to a festival. This is still a different experience. It's still, my cinematographer and producer's <laughs> first time actually in a festival, and you know it's a. Uh, it really opens their mind. Yeah, that, that there's so much more than just our uh, industry. And yeah, it's inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. For us, yeah. Me.
1: So, what are you working on next? What you got in the in the pipeline? Mm,
0: so now, um, actually, like uh, in the middle of May, we're going to Hong Kong to shoot some scenes because we're working on a very exciting new genre. It's my less, I guess, my least cynical film. It's a sports movie, but it's in vi- video games, eSports, so it's about an underdog Filipino eSports team uh, focused on a female player you know, in a very male-dominated um, sports industry, but imagine the handicap in the third world with all the slow internet service and lag and the uh, <laughs> uh, cheap keyboards and mouse, so she grew up in this internet cafe uh, culture. You know, it's almost like a street ball of esports and then she's recruited by a Philippine team and then they have this big, you know, uh, underdog story where she rises and then goes to a very big international tournament abroad. So we have scenes in uh, Hong Kong that we're shooting. It's called Friendly Fire. So it's a different, like I said, I always like to try different genres because I want the project to be exciting to me as well. I want to try something new and to, to the artists and to the app. I like it when we're trying to pioneer something or do something fresh, at least in our region. It excites the audience, it excites us. You know, it's, it's so fun to go to work, to go to set when you're, you're trying something new. Um, so this one is more like a, a sports movie, but very new with, with the whole gaming industry growing. Uh, so it's called Friendly Fire yeah and if you want we'll send, we can uh, in eastern tips we can send you exclusive like the the first uh look stills that'd the be first great stills, yeah yeah, that'd be absolutely yeah so awesome. we'll probably <laughs> come up with this one like end of year so because we'll, the post will take a while yeah we're gonna we have an actual video game a filipino made video game an actual original video game yeah, being yeah. The, we wow. can't <laughs> announce the game's name yet but uh, uh wow. and we also want a spotlight that that philippines a lot of um, game development is outsourced to us, and even yeah, know, VFX. Yeah. So it's very Filipino in that sense, and we want to show that uh, our that side of us uh, to the world. So it's exciting, something new, you know, because I've done like a couple of horror horror films in a row, so now it's a, a sports movie, more wholesome. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic, friendly
1: fire. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's a real you. pleasure to yeah. chat to you. And you can see those exclusive shots that Mikhail mentioned right now on the website and our social feeds. Just search for easternkicks.com. And you'll also find a link with the podcast details for this episode. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Mikhail does with uh, a, a sports underdog drama. Um, okay. And, you know, I, if anyone's going to turn it on their, their head, it's going to be him and doing it in a sort of... East esports first person shooter type way.
2: Yeah, um, definitely. You
1: know, working exclusively with uh like a big name game, Filipino mm. name game that, that he's working with on there. I mean that's it's really it's very it's it's a nicely kind of pro Filipino kind of uh mm-hmm. you know, nice nice little skit and I mean also what he was talking about there where he's working um to create his own studio Mm-hmm. with the media giant Filipino media giant Viva Films yeah um, who he worked with for uh, Delita as well so um, again to kind of create this uh, kind of foundation it's really quite an interesting it's very cool um, kind of thing to be doing to kind of take the no, and, no, no, and
2: absolutely. create a real foundation
1: for, for filmmakers and
2: absolutely yeah it's, yeah, it's building people. towards something sustainable and you giving other people a way into it and stuff I mean it, it's you know, coming from, you know, his background, we said, like you know, the family in the industry, working you know, his father being in there, and everything like that, it just seems like a yeah, a very cool thing to be doing, to be moving forwards with this kind of thing, making things sustainable chances for the future. I mean, you know, obviously for his own career, but then you know, also giving chances to other people and sort of build building things up in this way, which should really, you know, bolster the the, the Filipino industry and hopefully like the, the genre of filmmaking, uh, in particular, especially given his success at getting stuff on, you know, working with Netflix, now mm. stuff on Amazon, you know, getting stuff out to the festivals, having big hits at home. So, um, no, no, it's fascinating. And mm. it's, it's good to see someone, like, with a bigger picture, I guess. Like a bit, <laughs> you know, you, I, don't, I mean, not, I mean, it's great. I mean, if you're making films anyway, that's very cool already. But actually, you know, the, the, there's a filmmaker and then there's somebody who's also trying to be involved in other aspects of the industry in terms of moving things forward, which is, is interesting to see, you know. And it certainly... I would certainly be well well up for seeing more sort of Filipino genre films uh, in the future. if that if that's what they end up churning out more of, I'll be very happy about that.
1: that's it for now don't forget you can find all of our previous episodes on apple amazon music spotify google or wherever you get your podcasts (laughs) subscribe now and you'll never miss an episode but for now cheers
2: cheers ah very good that is a nice
0: whiskey